Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? I'm over here in Elk River, Minnesota, U.S. Site Work. And across from me is the CEO of U.S. Site Work, Bart Anderson. Welcome, Bart. Thanks, Jason. Bart and I have been talking about a little bit about his background. I haven't been able to look at his cool equipment that's at another location. But here's this guy sitting across from me who went to North Dakota State University, NDSU, yeah. Yeah. and got a construction management degree. And, you know, fast forward, he now employs a ton of people. It's only been in business, I mean, self employed now for. A short nine years, and they are doing some major projects. You should be proud, Bart, man. This is remarkable. I've been self-employed since 2001, and to be honest, you are kicking my ass. <laughs> so let's start back from the beginning. And Did you grow up in North Dakota? Is that where you were from originally? Correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, Fargo, North Dakota. On a farm, or what was the, was, what was the childhood like? grew up in town. Uh, my mother was a teacher, fifth grade teacher at Washington Elementary. We eventually moved into that school district. Uh, so I went to Washington Elementary, then on to Ben Franklin Junior High, on to Fargo North High School, and then to North Dakota State University. Okay. Yeah. My dad, he was a he was a teamster milkman for Casclay Creamery. Oh, okay. So two working parents. Yeah. Well, how did you decide to get into construction management? Has it uh, always been of interest to you? So, I mean, I think a lot of it came about building things as a little kid with uh, Lincoln Logs and sure. Legos, Sandbox, spent a lot of time in the Sandbox, Yeah. making little castles and racetracks. And, I mean, uh, I had a great Great set of parents, uh, great upbringing, uh, good town, very safe and great environment for a family. Yeah. And uh, just got, and then in junior high, I took wood shop and took metal shop and welded things and built, you know, things on the, on the wood shop equipment. Basically yeah. took all the shop classes that I could. Sure. Um, they were interesting. They were fun. I enjoyed it. And we started doing some kind of drafting in the wood shop. Uh, area. Mm. And then when I got to high school, I took like three years of three or four years of drafting in high school. Oh, this is old school drafting on one of those slant boards. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I took a yeah. couple of those classes yeah, too. With a T square. Yeah. That was, I enjoyed it. It was sure. kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. I was the only one that took the higher level drafting classes uh, just because I was interested in them and won a contest over at Moorhead State that they mm. had put on because they had a college drafting classes. Okay. But that was for high school kids. So yeah. I took second as a junior and I took first as a senior. Wow. And I originally had enrolled into NDSU into mechanical engineering, got accepted into that. And the more I kind of researched what I was going into, the more that I ran into construction management, I thought, you know, that was really more interesting building things, maybe being outside a little more, mm -hmm. plus a little less mathematics in college to take. Not that mm -hmm. I was bad at math, I just didn't enjoy it right. as much as the other classes. I don't know who does. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't either. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into construction and uh, got into the program at NDSU and and uh, went really well. I enjoyed all my classes and uh, got some good internships. Well, one was with the Corps of Engineers. And hmm. from there, the whole, you know, my whole career path kind of became more clear. Yeah. Now, NDSU still has that program over there, don't yeah. they? The construction management. Yeah. And uh, I think you're, you said your son, he went to NDSU also, but not for construction management, but for civil engineering? Correct. So, I don't know. Was that a recommendation by you? It's like, uh, you know, maybe not so much construction management, but maybe civil engineering might be a better road? I mean, what's your thought on that? Well, so I, of course, I've been in the business now for over 25, 30 years, and my son's had to talk, had a chance to talk to all my friends and, and employees here, and we're also friends. And mm-hmm. they kind of convinced him okay. that if they had to do it over, they wouldn't have taken construction manager, they would have taken civil engineer. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, yeah. I told him, you know, you can have a great career either way. Yeah. Um, but, but I think he preferred, I think once he got into it, he was happy that that's the decision he made. Okay. Because uh, a lot of our, like like my partner, Scott Kurzman, is a civil engineer. Yes. Um, and we have two other civil engineers that we've hired from NDSU in the last two years that work here. Okay. That are doing a great job. You know, even though people get into civil engineering, they don't always want to be engineers. Once they get through it, they some even like Garrett, he wanted to be a contractor from the beginning, but he wanted to take a civil engineering to get more of the engineering background to kind of, you know, give him more insight as to what he's building someday. Okay. Got it. Got so, it. You mentioned that you uh, did a few internships while you're in college, and one was for, what was it, the Army Corps of Engineers? Yeah. Correct. And uh, I think we talked about that a little bit before we got started here. Can you? Go down that road a little bit, what that internship entailed? So it, it was a construction inspector for the Corps of Engineers when they did the West Fargo diversion project back in 1990. Okay. And then uh, at the same time, right after the West Fargo one started, simultaneously the Horst of West Fargo diversion started. So there was about $15 million worth of earthwork, heavy civil earthwork and a lot of concrete structures and some piling. And um, it was a great experience for me to go out there and and document in the field what the contractors were doing every day to try to verify contract compliance with the plans and the specs. Gotcha. And then I started doing, working on the pay quantities for the contractors. They had to survey the, like the, West Fargo to Virgil, like nine and a half miles long, and there was three and a half million yards of dirt that they moved to build the diversion Jeez. project. And I set up a program to kind of upload the data into this other takeoff software. Okay. That then calculated all the pay quantities hmm. for the contractor for both for both projects. Huh. That's what I did basically all winter between my sophomore year and junior year and junior year and senior year. Did those quantities for those projects. Interesting. And then uh, you graduated and you worked in the field for several years before starting this business. Can you talk a little bit about the work you were doing during that period of time before 2013? Yeah, so out of college, I started with M.A. Mortensen down in Whiteman Air Force Base on the B-2 stealth bomber facilities back in 1992, 93, 94, 95. And my role was what they call quality control manager. Every 
probably project, Corps of Engineers project, over a half million dollars has to have a full-time quality control manager on the job from the contractor side to basically get all the submittals submitted for all the materials that are going to go into the job. Okay. Then verify that those materials show up to the project, that they're what the contractor specified, and then have a pre-inspection meeting or what they call a preparatory meeting with the contractor and the core, the subcontractors, to talk mm-hmm. about how they're going to do the work and make sure that it's in compliance with the plans and the specs and the owners, the core of engineers, the owners and their inspectors are aware of our means and methods that we're going to build it with. Okay. And then once it gets going, you do initial inspections and follow-up inspections and you document all this stuff. And the yeah. Corps of Engineers wants to see a lot of paperwork. So did you make a lot of friends on that job? And the reason why I ask, you know, right out of uh, high school, I went to Hutchinson Technical College. Now they call themselves Ridgewater Community College for a their program that they called Non-Destructive Testing technician. And at a college, one of the jobs that I was put on was quality control for uh, a roofing job. And so here is this snot-nosed kid fresh out of college. I mean, I was probably, I don't know, 20 and doing quality control on a roof and (laughs) telling these old school contractors that the asphalt was in the proper temperature or there's gaps in the insulation that need to be filled and this and that. And I think they wanted to throw me off the roof, but (laughs) I mean, that's what I was there for, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you were getting paid to do the job for the owner to get him the product that he wanted to buy. Yeah. Or that yeah. he expected he was buying. Yeah. I probably made less friends working for the Corps of Engineers on the, the version as an inspector. Okay. As I did as a quality control uh, manager for Mortensen on the contractor side because those were our subcontractors. Oh. And sometimes I could just tell our subcontractors, I'm like, hey, you can't do it that way because you're not going to get paid. Yeah. You know, you have to follow the plans and the specs because at the end of the day, it's not going to look right. Yeah. You know, yeah. on the Corps of Engineers job, I'd be looking at the rebar and say, hey, you got to have two inches between the rebar and the formwork because they want two inches of concrete cover to protect the rebar from rusting. Uh, a half an inch is not going to get it done. Yeah. You can't pour this concrete with this, this rebar that far out of spec. Yeah. Of course, that pissed them off because once it's poured you can't tell <laughs> right unless you're going to chip the concrete away and damage the structure yeah, yeah so there was times when yeah it was not very popular yeah, yeah but i had a job to do and i was getting paid to be the owner's rep so i was i wanted they they were buying a product and they wanted to they want to build their way yeah yeah you gotta do what you gotta do man yeah all right, so uh, you're doing some quality control work for uh, a company, and it involved what the stealth bomber is that what you said? Yeah, the B two stealth bomber's home is Whiteman Air Force Base. Okay, it's built by Northrop Grumman, but its its headquarters is Whiteman. Still is Whiteman Air Force Base. Where's Whiteman? So Whiteman is about an hour uh, straight east of Kansas City. Oh, okay, all right, and. Like during the Gulf War, Desert Storm and Desert Shield, primarily Mm. Desert Storm, they would fly B-2 stealth bombers from Whiteman Air Force Base all the way around the world to Iraq to do bombing runs. Interesting. It's interesting they chose that place for home base. I mean, is it? Well, I think it was, uh, there's a senator called Ike Skelton who was on the defense committee or the, you know, armed forces funding committee and those guys have a lot of power and that's yeah. what I was told how okay. how Whiteman Air Force Base ends up with the B2 stealth bomber because they built 
million, I mean, probably close to a billion dollars of, of runways, fueling systems and hangars and, and everything else to support that bomber. Yeah. And those, those things fuel right in the sky, don't they? I mean, yeah. if they take off there yeah. and they fuel in the sky and they can fly they, all the way around the world. Yeah, correct. Wow, that's but amazing. The, but the main mission for the B-2 stealth bomber, though, is nuclear uh, deployment. Oh. That was the main one of the main reasons. But it was also equipped with tactical weapons as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were one of the guys building the runways and stuff out there, doing the yeah, quality control stuff? Mortensen had the contract. It was called Package 60 to extend the runway, the tarmacs, to build a few. It was like back in... 1993 or four, it would have been like a $26 million project. So they had a big hydrant fuel system, they called it, that went with it. There was a a pair of hangars Mm. that were built for the bomber. You know, the hangars were like about eight and a half, nine million dollars a hangar. (laughs) But the B-2 stealth bomber itself was like an $850 million plane. Dang. You you never got to see it while you were out there, did you? Yeah. You did? The last year I was there, the bombers, they had enough hangars built and they had enough bombers uh, certified that they started landing them and and parking parking them there and getting on with the mission that they were going to have them. They weren't giving out joy rides or anything. No, but... The first B-2 stealth bomber that landed at Whiteman Air Force during the day, the whole base basically stopped. Yeah. Everybody stopped. The cars stopped. People got out of their cars. They're like, holy balls. Like, Look at that thing. It was like a spaceship, man. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> Being like, invaded. It, it, it was a unique, I mean, it looked like a big wing, you know, yeah. kind of like the bat plane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good description. Yeah. Like Batman would crawl out yeah, of that thing. right. Yeah. Yeah, and that thing came landing in there and everybody, I mean, I'm telling you, the base basically stood still for about five to ten minutes. <laughs> I bet. All right, so uh, you got done helping out the bat plane. Uh, what was next? You- so, I mean, quality control, I think, is a great place to start your career at. It's really not... I, I didn't ever envision myself being a long-term quality control manager no. for a construction company, so I wanted to get more on the, the dollars and cents side with estimating, project managing. Sure. So... I had talked to my boss uh, about getting more into project management and estimating, and he wanted me to do one more year as a quality control manager. I'd already done three projects for him. Okay. Um, and I just wasn't... I was, wasn't feeling it. No, but I wasn't huh. excited about the next year of doing that. <laughs> so I was, you know, I'd talked to some of my college buddies, and one of my friends that I graduated college with was working for Vite. Okay. And he said they were looking for an estimator. Okay. So he wanted to know if I wanted to send him a resume. So I did. They flew me up from uh, Kansas City to MSP and interviewed mm. with uh, Vaughn Veit and Jerry Rachel and Donnie Rachel. And a couple of days later, they had a job offer that I thought was worth it. Yeah. And uh, accepted it and yeah. moved up here. As an estimator. Yeah. So you went from uh, quality control to estimating. I mean, yeah. to me, that's not an unusual jump, is it? I not mean, really. I mean, estimating is the entry-level place in the business. Okay. And if you have a college degree, we have estimating classes. And, okay. Um, I mean, it, it helped a lot to have, you know, five years of field experience right. uh, before doing the estimating. Sure. I um, mean, I had a great mentor, you know, Jerry Rachel kind of gave me a lot of insight and he's he was one of the founders of Rachel Contracting. Oh, uh, yeah. Those guys have grown a lot, haven't they? Yeah, they're 
they're a big animal yeah. to, yeah. to contend with. We yeah. bid against them all the time. Oh, yeah? And okay. It's, it's, they're a good company. All right. So uh, you come up here to work with Vite as an estimator, and you, you were with Vite for quite a long time, weren't you? Yeah, 18 yeah. years. And were you estimating the whole time, or did you get into the project management side? Well, the the nice thing about our business is that most heavy civil contractors like Vite, Fratello, and Rachel, Bolander, all our guys who bid work, if you get it, then and you have enough experience, then you project manage it. Oh, okay. So the jobs that I started bidding as soon as I got one at Vite, then they wanted me to manage it. Okay. So it's. I mean, it's pretty satisfying having that aspect of it, which is different than like a building contractor. Mm-hmm. You know, they have just an estimating department that just puts buildings together. Sure. Bids buildings after buildings after buildings. That's all they do. Then they get one, they give it to the project managers, then they go build it. Yep. You yep. Know? Where with heavy civil, you know, some of our jobs might only be five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Some of them might be five to $25 million. That big of a range. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if you get on a big five or $10 million project, then you might not bid that many more projects while you're building that one. Yeah. All right. So you're with uh, Vite and up until 2013 then? Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. And then you you had a a little birdie tweeting in your ear, giving you ideas about maybe going out on your own. Does that sound? Yeah. Scott Kurzman was that little birdie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Scott. And what was that process like? Was it scary to jump ship in um, a regular paycheck to be like, all right, I'm doing it on my own? Or uh, what what was going through your head at that time? Certainly was a big step. Um, You know, I would say that I had a pretty successful career at Vite, and you always wonder, are my clients my clients or are they Vite's clients? Mm, So I think a lot of people have these conversations with their clients and try to have this feeling out process, like thinking that I'm going to go on my own. Would you support me? And I never had those conversations. I just said, you know, we're going to make this happen. And whether their clients, my clients come with us or Scott's clients come with him, there's still public work that we can bid. We're going to make this happen one way or another because I had a you know, pretty successful career at Vite for 18 years. Scott had a pretty successful career for 10 years with the three or four companies that he worked for. Mm-hmm. And you just have to have confidence in yourself that you're going you're gonna to be as successful on your own as you were working for a bigger company that had a long track record. Yeah. But we were also very lucky you know, we had uh, Rory Pagan, our other partner, and he's general superintendent for us. Okay. And he he'd had uh, he's the same age I am, and he had twenty five years of experience before he went on his own with us. Okay. Yep. So me and Scott put the bids out, procured the work, and Rory and the field guys got, got it, it done. Yeah. Good. So So, it's a great partnership. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say. I mean, partnerships in general, I've heard some horror stories, man. And the horror story usually goes like this. They go into business together. Not one really has a better skill set in another area than another person does. They're just maybe buddies and they kind of do the same kind of work. So they're going to go into business together. But one guy likes to spend a lot of time on the golf course and the other guy is, you know, out there busting his ass all the time. And, you know, that catches up and sooner or later the partnership splits up. But uh, for you guys, you know, I think it's a, a good mix of 
different strengths coming together and being successful with it. I mean, two of you guys are really good at the bidding and the estimating, and and then the other one is good at, at getting the job done, the project done, right? And Scott in the office has... He had a lot more technical side on the bidding and the software. Okay. I was a little more old school. I had more contacts and more client relationships because I'd been in the business longer. Oh, sure. And so, you know, we complimented each other in the office quite a bit. Not that there wasn't plenty of arguments and discussions that took place over the last eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, not everybody that uh, is successful in this business is going to be eye to eye with somebody else that's successful because everybody has their own way of doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, we just have to be professional, respect each other's opinions, even if they're different, mm-hmm. and and be confident that we can be successful either way we do it. Yeah. Yes. You know? oh, that's good. So I don't look over Scott's shoulder, and he typically doesn't look over my shoulder, and we just focus on our head, keep our head down and keep everybody that's on our team focused on getting more work and keeping the field busy because we have about, you know, 65, 70 really good field people. They have families and yeah. we have to keep those families fed and we have to keep our good people with us uh, and happy. Yeah. 65, 75 field people. So that's a lot of people, man. Okay, so what was that first year like? Was it uh, eating ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese, you know, for twelve months, or did you guys come out of the gate blazing? Well, we were we were lucky that financially we had three partners that had enough uh, collateral to put together a million dollar line of credit at the bank. So we really didn't probably have to eat ramen noodles <laughs> for lunch too often. <laughs> All right, good. Um, but it's not like we were spending money like drunken sailors either. Right. We got into our line, of, our million dollar line of credit, about four hundred thousand dollars, and then from there, profitable jobs took over, and we paid that line of credit off by the first year, and then haven't really dipped into it since. Okay. So Man. it's been a pretty good run. We had some really good projects. It's a big challenge building something out of nothing. Yeah. You know, basically all you got is the idea, the mush in your head and the experience that you've had in the business. Yeah. And from there, you got to make it happen. Right. You know, and we were fortunate that, that it worked out for us. That million dollar line of credit, I just imagine walking into my bank and asking a banker for a million dollar line of credit and getting laughed out of the bank. And I've, I've been in business for a while and you guys are just starting out. Was that a difficult process getting a line of credit like that? It did. It, uh, we had to go to probably four different banks okay. before we found the right bank that would take the leap of faith with us. Yeah. But, you know, going through that whole process at the end of the day, I'm not very impressed with. It wasn't that big a leap of faith because if we fell on our face and they'd have everything I owned, oh, yeah, they'd have everything that Scott owned and then they'd have everything that Mike Dubois owned, who was our <laughs> other partner at the time. Sure, sure. Reminds me of a story. My friend Rick, he was working with his dad in the manufacturing business and you know, he said his dad's a jerk and he didn't want to work with him anymore. So he wanted to go out on his own, but he didn't have any money. So he just went to the bank and his words, these are his words. I went to the bank and lied my ass off. So they borrowed me some money so I could go on business my own. And sure enough, man, he, I don't know, he's got a sitting at 70 employees now and oh. uh, doing really well. Wow. Yeah, He took a leap of faith then. <laughs> that, paid, that paid off. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that first year, uh, I think you said you had some pretty big projects coming right out of the gate. Is that right? Yeah, our first project was at Freiburg, North Dakota. It was a set of crude tanks for Great Northern Rail Company. 
about $950,000 project. A couple of weeks later, we bid the foundation work that went with it. That was about $250,000. Wow. And then, you know, that bid that in March. And by the first week of May, we had uh, six, seven guys out in Belf- or Medora, North Dakota, staying in a hotel and working in Freiburg wow. uh, for about two solid months. Jeez. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, I should I should give some credit to Brian Reamer with uh, Short Elliot Hendrickson. Yeah, I had done some projects with him at when for McGough, oh. and he was he's the civil engineer on them, and uh, he he's a good friend of mine, and he told the owner that you know these guys are brand new, but he says I think they can do it. Yeah, so let's they got the best price. Let's give them a chance. Yeah, so you gotta you know have some friends in the business that aren't willing to take a, that are willing to go to bat for you and take a chance on you. Yeah, yeah and thank God it turned out for the best. And we've done now a couple other projects at the at that terminal for that okay. client. Okay, you know one thing that you talked about earlier that I found really interesting is the. Uh, drilling machine that goes down 120 feet 125 feet eight foot diameter hole up up to eight yeah and it's used to put in piers drilled piers yeah and did you guys put the piers in for that dome that we were you were speaking about no no that's that was an example example. yeah that was built in like 1990 oh okay yeah so can you tell a little bit about how that works, that whole drilling machine? And you can use that same example with that uh, stadium over in North Dakota. Yeah, I mean, that that's a kind of a large diameter drilled pier. Our machine will do that diameter drilled pier uh, and that depth, but it's more ours is more used for... Yeah, you know, our typical drill pier is like thirty-six feet in di- or thirty-six inches in diameter, so about three feet, and they go about you know thirty, forty, fifty feet in the ground. Okay. But the Fargo Dome, I was going to school there at the time. Okay. It had drilled shafts that were about ninety feet deep. A friend of mine, Don Schultz, uh, was the owner of Lane, uh, Lane, Minnesota. They did those drilled shafts. Okay. And, and there's probably a hundred and fifty of them, and they were somewhere around eight, nine feet in diameter, and they went down uh, 90 feet. And then they, I believe those were under-reamed, is what I was told. Yeah. And uh, so they'd bell them out maybe 12 feet in diameter down at the bottom into the glacial till, and then they'd send an inspector down in a man basket uh, with a flashlight <laughs> to to make sure that the concrete shaft is being seated on something you know solid yeah. to make sure the... The Fargo Dome is going to be supported properly. That poor guy, man, going down <laughs> on that shaft with that flashlight. I mean, it brings back, it makes me think of a movie of like an old coal miner movie and the guy goes down there with his lantern and gets gets buried or something, man. Yeah. You didn't sign up for a job like that, did you? No, no. I was a construction inspector for the Corps, but I didn't have to go 90 <laughs> feet down in the bottom of a drilled pier. Oh, because, my God. No. Man, that guy should get hazardous duty pay. Something. Something. Or get his head checked. I mean, I would not. I would. I don't know. I don't know what sum of money I would have to get paid to do something like that. <laughs> Scare the hell out of me. Yeah. All right, so what kind of work are you guys doing now? You know, I picture uh, a sandbox with my Tonka toys, with the bulldozer and the excavator and pushing dirt around and digging holes. You guys are kind of like real life that, in a sense, plus some other services, correct? Yeah, we uh, earthwork is probably about 80% of what we do. Uh, we got a couple underground utility crews that put in water mains, sanitary sewer, storm sewer. We also do some demolition, wreck a few buildings, hmm. um, and we have that 
that foundation group that does drilled piers, they'll drive pile, sheet pile, do some earth retention. We kind of just picked up a pretty exciting project a couple months ago, soybean processing plant at Spiritwood, North Dakota for uh, ADM. The general contractor is McGough. Okay. And it's the old Cargill malting plant site. So if you ever drive 94 from, it's about five miles east of Jamestown. Okay. And you can see these great big concrete elevators about a mile north of the interstate. Hmm. So it's a, it's probably a $250 million project for McGough. And our projects between seven and eight million. So we're we're doing a turnkey site package for the earthwork and the underground. There's another contractor that's doing the demolition of the old plant, which is about a, between the asbestos abatement and the demolition, it's about a four to six million dollar wrecking package. Dang. Just to tear some stuff down. It's a big plant, yeah. yeah. It had been added. Cargill had been adding units onto it for like 15 years when they'd start when they first built it. Okay, and so you're doing the earthwork over there for a soybean processing plant, yeah, which uh, consists of what grading? You got to dig- yeah. It's kind of a turnkey site package. So we're going to do all the topsoil stripping, the mass grading, the underground utilities. And then we're also going to do all the class five and we were subcontracting the pavement, the concrete pavement, the asphalt pavement. Okay. And the seating restoration and all that. Okay. So, okay. So they like to make it simpler for them on a, you know, about a 20 acre site, kind of just keep it under one contractor's umbrella. Sure. So they can manage it a little bit closer. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. This is the biggest contract that U.S. Siteworks ever had. Wow. Well, so, congratulations, yeah. man. Yeah, and, I mean, we've done quite a few projects for McGough's industrial group. Okay. And they we got a good relationship with them, and they do a great job, and, and they're a good partner. Good. And Brian Reamer with SEH is the site engineer. Oh, there you go. Another shout-out to Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the future like? Keep doing what you're doing? Keep getting these bigger projects? You know, I don't know. You got plans to expand in any particular area or geographic region or anything like that? I mean, we've already done projects in 10 different states. Okay. Um, as far east as Ohio, Hillsboro, Ohio, as far south as uh, Missouri, mm. and as far west as, uh, you know, Wyoming. Okay. Um, so, you know, we've already covered a big footprint, but we're kind of more client-focused. Mm. So, you know, we're just... We're happy to take on this bigger project for McGough, and we've done, you know, multi-million dollar projects in North Dakota before. And we have quite a few guys that work for us that are from, that live in North Dakota. Okay. So that's, that's helpful. But, you know, we just don't focus on the big jobs. We're more client focused. And a client in this case is McGough, not Cargill. Yeah. McGough's client is ADM. Okay. Cargill was the one that sold the plant. Okay. To ADM. And so would you call your client, your client, if your client focus was at McGough then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this okay. case, McGough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, if we do a good job and say ADM learns who we are and and they want us to bid a civil job direct to them that McGough's not interested in, mm-hmm. that certainly has happened before. We've done projects for McGough in uh, Minden, Nebraska at an ethanol plant. 
Okay. And then they had a, a tank project that McGough didn't want to manage because it really didn't have a lot of their work on it. So we bid it direct to Kappa Ethanol and got it. It was a million-dollar ethanol tank. Wow. Um, so we, so that, you know, helped us out. Yeah. Man, um, you guys are doing some big stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, to wrap things up, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? You know, uh, we've been talking now for about 30 minutes. And uh, but I don't want to cut you short unless you had some uh, something else you wanted to bring up. No, I mean uh, I got to give a lot of credit to my partners and our mm. our team that we have here. We've hired a lot of really good people. Yeah, um, we got two young college kids that are really doing a great job for us and uh, pumping out a lot of work that good. really is paid off this year. We have a lot of guys out working in the field that do a great job getting it done for our clients that are very safety focused. Okay. We had a few safety issues at Vite where I used to work. Sure. Uh, it was one of the reasons why I left. I didn't really care for the direction that the safety was going. They knew they had to change a few things. Hmm. And the people that needed to be, uh, you know, in charge of that weren't exactly making the decisions the way I would have made them. Hmm. So I kind of thought that starting over from scratch would be maybe easier from a safety focus than trying to change the viewpoint of 500 people in the field. Yeah. You know, I always, yeah. and not that all 500 people, there was probably only 10% of them were kind of old school and weren't with the new safety direction that Vite wanted to start. Sure. And I tell people in the business, I say, if you get, if you get 90% uh, in college, you get an A usually. Mm. But if you have 50 out of 500 people that aren't on board with the safety program, that's that's, that's going to bring you down. 50 people that are out there putting you at risk yeah. every day. Yeah. So you don't really get an A for that. You get uh, you get a bellyache at the end of the day wondering what these 50 people are going to do tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Uh, Playing with fire. Yeah. So we were lucky we hired guys that had uh, that, that wanted to be good at safety, that wanted to take care of their team, their crew, and we really put some, you know, good JHA processes in place here, which are job hazard analysis. And our guys take them to heart. They work as a team out in the field to watch each other's backs, mm-hmm. plan the work really well. And we've only had one recordable incident in eight seasons. One OSHA recordable in eight seasons. Yeah. Wow. It's working, man. Yeah. So we're lucky to have seven, zero of you know, recordable years under our belt. That's and, that's remarkable. Yeah, and I, you know, give Rory Pagan a ton of credit for setting the bar high and not sacrificing our standards on safety. And, yeah. our, and we've had to let a few cowboys go that we hired that didn't quite <laughs> get the message. Yeah. You know, but the guys that we have here now, they look out for those cowboys and they give them a couple chances to change the way they operate. And if they don't get with the safety direction, then they're not here any longer. Yeah. So we've had to let a few people go for, for safety reasons. Well, it's really important doing the work you do to be safe. I mean, not only from a, I guess, a moral ethical side, providing a safe place to work for your employees, but dollars and cents wise. And I do some of that safety stuff on the side, but, yeah, when, when you have a lot of recordable injuries or claims and your mod goes up and your work comp premium goes up, that's one thing. I mean, that's going to cost more at the end of the year. But also, 
it affects your ability to get future work if if your injuries you know get out of hand and your recordable injuries. You, 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 whenever you're bidding work, if they're going to ask for you like your OSHA 300 log or something, or look at your mod and they don't want to award you the contract, well, it affects the livelihood of the business. You know, oh, I mean, absolutely. Thirty years ago, the only people looking for your mod rate were kind of refineries and power plants. And now, 25, 30 years later, you got general contractors that want to see your safety rating. You know, mm-hmm. the Mortensons of the world are, they tipped over a lot of cranes 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> and now they're all into safety. Okay. You know, good. I mean, they had to. Yeah. I mean, you just can't keep tipping over cranes and not expect to hurt people that don't deserve to be hurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we we take it seriously. Um, our guys take it seriously, and 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 I think we have results that are showing that we care. Yeah, good, yeah. good. All right, Bart Anderson, CEO of U.S. Sitework. What's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody has a, a question about the company to see if you're hiring or? Maybe there's a job that they would like to have a bid on. What's the best way to get a hold of you? I mean, preferred way would probably be to email me. Okay. Uh, Bart at ussitework.com. So it's B-A-R-T at U-S-S-I-T-E-W-O-R-K.com. Okay. And then uh, also, guys, check out their website, ussitework.com. Yeah. Awesome, Bart. I appreciate your time, man. And I think your future is really bright. You guys are, you know, off to the races in a short nine years, you know, 70-ish people working on these projects with you. Uh, You're doing a great job. And congratulations. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks, Bart. All right, Minnesota. That's it. Thanks for listening. That's it, guys. If you know of a Minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest, please have them go to minnesotamadepodcast.com and have them apply for the show. Thanks for listening, Minnesota. Minnesota.